Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, this is Woodstock Proud, spotlighting the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make Woodstock one of the premier destinations in Metro Atlanta to live, work, and play. Now, here's your host. Hello and welcome back once again to Woodstock Proud. Here on Business Radio X, I'm your host, Jim Bulger. If you've been with us before, it's great to have you back. If you're joining us for the first time, we really appreciate you spending a few minutes of your time with us as we get better acquainted with the individuals and businesses that are making a daily difference here in the Woodstock community. You know, one of my joys and a real privilege for me that I never fail to appreciate is the opportunity I have here on Woodstock Proud to showcase some of our neighbors and to hear the backstories of their businesses, their passions, and their visions. And, you know, a lot of times those life journeys that they've been on have taken them down some unexpected new paths and into some new ventures as they've just followed their hearts. And on today's episode of Woodstock Proud, you're going to meet Lee Merriweather, And hear one of the most interesting, one of the most unique, and I think one of the most inspirational self-discovery stories that I know of. So, Lee, welcome to Woodstock Proud. Well, thank you so much for having me. By the way, I love that intro music. It's just awesome. (laughs) Oh, that is just fantastic. I'm fired up just from hearing it. You'll be humming it on the way home. (laughs) I will be. (laughs) So, before we talk about the path you've traveled, let's go back a few years. You and I met five or six years ago at one of the many Woodstock business networking events and describe what you were doing then. So then at that time I was a divorce lawyer and building up uh, one of the largest or actually the largest family law firm in the state of Georgia with my, along with the help of my partner and and the other great employees there and lawyers. And uh, so practicing law, eventually I got to the point where the firm had gotten so large that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't actively handling cases anymore. I was trying to, my role had shifted to help all the other lawyers become better than I ever was. That's great. No. And, and the firm, as you said, was the largest family law firm in the state and was one of the fastest growing law firms in the country, I believe. Right. Yes. Uh, we, we were at 45 when I, uh, by the time I had left, I was, we were at 45 lawyers and about 100 employees. Uh, we made the Inc. 5000 list. Um, now we've made it several years in a row. We made the wow. Law Firm 500 list, which is one of the fastest 500 growing law firms in the country. We made that several years in a row. So, yeah, exciting things were happening. And I know you personally and some of your attorneys were also individually recognized as some of the top attorneys in the state. Yeah, we had a, a huge number of super lawyers. That's that's one right. of the, the awards. It's the top 5% of lawyers in the in the state of Georgia. And so I w- had made one of those awards and uh, several years in a row. And several of other lawyers had also done that along with other great awards like uh, um, uh, now there's it's been so many years I forgot. all. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a good problem to have. You forget what your awards were. Well, and we mentioned family law. So what kind of cases were you representing? So mostly divorces, but there's along with that child custody cases, modification cases, contempt cases, things called legitimations, where 
a child was born out of wedlock. And in Georgia, a father has no rights until they legitimize the child. So there was okay. those kind of cases, um, some adoptions, but the vast majority were divorce cases. Okay. So in your, in your daily work life, you're dealing with couples whose relationships are in turmoil. In fact, they're looking to end those relationships in many cases. But at the same time, outside of work, through your church and through other organizations, you're involved with different groups that have a different purpose than that, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, believe it or not, when often, oftentimes when people would call me, I, I would ask lots of questions. Uh, and if I saw an opportunity to maybe talk them out of hiring me, I would jump on it. Really? Now, the right circumstances had to be there. and um, But with God's help, I was able to save about six marriages a year where they were read, they were call, I was getting the call to get a divorce, and I was able to open the door, another door, that led them to saving their marriage. And one of the things we were doing is we were leading a group called Thrive. So it was a group through our church, and it was uh, there were several couples that would be involved, usually six to eight. And we would, they'd come to our home, and it was a 13-week course. And in like one, one case, uh, I won't give too many details, but the person sure. had called. Um, I noticed a trauma in the relationship. The trauma was never addressed. Um, and that led them to a point where they were getting ready to get a divorce. I invited them to, the, uh, to our group rather than hiring me. Which also, by the way, if they showed up, that meant I couldn't represent either of them in the divorce. So okay. I was walking away for potential money. Um, and what was really unique about that was how God opened the door. So the phone call was on Thursday. On Saturday, this person took their children to an event at the church. And it was for the children. And the whole event was about forgiveness. And this person said, what are the odds that I called a divorce lawyer for a divorce? They tried to talk me out of it talk to me about forgiveness. And then two days later there, I'm at an event for my children talking about forgiveness. The next day person comes running to me at church. Is it too late to join the group? I said, absolutely not. That was 2013. Uh, last time I saw them was before the pandemic hit and not only are they still married, but they are actually now happily married. That's fantastic. So one of my favorite stories. Oh yeah. So when we look at that, I mean, did that cause any kind of emotional tension for you in that you're legally ending relationships in your work as an attorney, but you're learning about building relationships through the thrive work you're doing? Yeah, it was very emotionally taxing. Uh, so, and, and even when the, the decision was made to move forward with the divorce, I was doing everything I could to make it as amicable as possible. Um, I was looking for ways to resolve the divorce, not litigate it. Not that I was afraid of trials. I had a lot of fun trials. And for a lawyer, the trial can be a lot of fun, but it's not fun for the, the participants. Right. Um, although I was telling a story the other day where the, my client actually, her, her husband was, he was a piece of work. And uh, we had this wonderful time. I'll go ahead and share this story if that's all right. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> it was believed he had cheated on her. And uh, so we're in court, and we'd given him this amazing settlement offer. He didn't take it, so we had to go to court. And we're in there, and he's 
was one of those few cross examinations where just everything lined up and, and you don't normally win on cross examination. 80% of cases are won on direct examination. That's where you're presenting your evidence. So I have him across and he keeps denying he has a girlfriend. And then we get to his credit card statements where there's all these purchases at Victoria's secrets. <laughs> so I ask him, I said, so, so you were buying uh, lingerie for your girlfriend at, at Victoria's Secrets. He goes, no, I wasn't va- buying lingerie for my girlfriend. Oh, were you buying it for yourself? And then she, he was like, whoa, no, no, that's not what I meant. It was, at the time, it was, it was like this whole setting. There was a whole series of questions that led up to it. The judge is laughing. He's trying to cover his face so you can't see him laughing. My client is laughing. Um, but this, besides, but, and then at the end, I mean, the judge signed our order, gave actually more than what we were asking for. So he should have taken that mediation, but we walk out and she starts to cry. I didn't want this. I I mean, she didn't have a choice. There was family violence involved. He attacked her. He attacked the kids, but she's like, I just want my old husband back. I didn't want to have to be here. Man, that just, that's heartbreaking. You go in there and you just, as a lawyer, you do the very best job you can and, you know, the client was happy with me. Don't get me wrong. But still, there was no joy in the outcome. There was sadness. And that had to have an effect on you personally, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and for years, I, I, um, I kept telling myself, you know, I'm, just, I'm still doing the right thing. I'm still doing the right thing. But it still didn't change what was eating away inside of me. So here you are. You've built this incredible law firm. You know, uh, a dream most lawyers could only aspire to. But then the next chapter, let's go ahead to about 2019 or so Mm -hmm. and talk about the next chapter. Let me let me share. Let me say just two things before we hit that. Sure. So, number one, it wasn't just me. I just want to give a shout out to Bob Thart, who was my partner. He was um, we had an awesome relationship uh, he's a great lawyer. We, 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 we built this together. So, and not, you weren't saying it's, I just don't want anybody to think that sure, it, no. this was all me. This was, this was a collective effort and, um, I really enjoyed working with him. And so that was one thing, but I went to him in 2019 and just said, man, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, you know, I was wondering when you were going to come to me. Really? And he said, your heart hasn't felt like it's been here for the, for about five years. And I said, well, that's about right. Because about five years before I was sitting in church and our pastor was giving a sermon, we were building a building. And he said, the whole point of us building this building is so we can invite more people to church. It's not to say great things about the church it's so we can have more people come hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And so he said, you know, this is how you can help us. If everybody could buy a chair, at least one chair, so that some, you know, so you can invite one person to church with you. So I was like, wow. So I get out. I'm all inspired. I get out. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy the entire auditorium. Yeah, I can do this. And I was like, wait a minute. That means I have to divorce a lot more people. And man, that just, that really started a downward spiral for me. That in order to be successful on one end, I have to be tear apart more relationships on the other. So before you had that conversation with Bob, where you told him that you were thinking about leaving, you had been 
considering this for a while. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to guess it still wasn't an easy decision to make. No, it wasn't. Um, just because, you know, you're, you're walking away something you've built. Um, you spent 20 plus years building. It's been successful. M- many people, you know, think you're crazy for doing something like that. And my wife, she didn't think I was crazy, but she wanted to make sure. I love my wife, and she's very wise. And she says, I want to make sure you're not running from something. You're actually running to something. You're not running from something. And so she said, why don't, you know, maybe you should see a counselor. And I was like, I was like, because at first my, you know, my defensive, oh, I don't need a counselor. You know, when I'm like, wait, I give that advice all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I need to listen to my wife. So I found this great psychologist, uh, and he's also like a life coach. So he had all the credentials, and uh, I scheduled an appointment with him. I saw him for over the course of several months, and he gave me all kinds of homework assignments. Uh, and so I, I spent a lot of time doing a lot of internal research and in answering all his questions and everything. And so it was a, that was part of the journey to make sure I wasn't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> one point, Always a good start. Yeah. At one point, his professional opinion that he did not see anything clinically wrong with me. So that was good. good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, he actually helped me with that part of that journey as well. So when, when your wife, Stephanie, right? Yes. When, when Stephanie asked you if you were running away from something or towards something, did you know what you were running towards? I did. So there was, there was a couple things that I was running towards. So, um, we had bought a property a few years ago and actually that search for that property was, was in a very interesting one because we had started several years before and we got a lot of no's from God. So we just found these properties and just one thing after another didn't work out. So we stopped and we said, we're not going to look anymore. And then three years go by and we're like, let's, let's look. Something came up. We started looking again, got a few no's and then all of a sudden this property came on the market and, uh, and one, a builder I was actually meeting with, she, she saw this and she's like, you know what, why you don't need me to build this. This is the property you need. You've been talking about wanting a marriage wedding venue. This is it right here. You can do it right here. I was like, wow, I didn't even think about that. So it was, it was actually a friend of mine who pointed out this particular piece of property. We looked at it. We loved it. And we said, you know, we'd love to build a marriage venue. So when I say marriage venue, we want to do more than just weddings we want to do what's called marriage intensives. So marriage intensive, think of it as the emergency room for your divorce, for your marriage. Because, you know, I, I would, over the years, I would send people to counseling. But the problem is that counseling life gets in the middle between each session. And you may be getting ready to make a breakthrough in a session. But then, well, our hour's up. And then life gets caught in the middle. And then so it can stall progress. And if you're right on that tipping point... Sometimes counseling doesn't work, but a marriage intensive is three intensive days of counseling. And it's a mixture of group settings and breakout sessions and everything. But uh, a lot of the ones I'm aware of have about an 80% success rate where the couples go in there, certain they're going to get a divorce and 80% walk out recommitted to their marriage. So we wanted to, but the problem was there wasn't enough venues so I had a number of psychologists and counselors that wanted to do this, but there weren't enough venues available. So we were thinking we would build a venue that would um, allow them to come in and do it. I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to facilitate it. 
And then we would fund it because this isn't a way to really make money, but we would fund it with uh, weddings. So, and, and this is just part of why I find your story so interesting is that, you know, a lot of people have some turns in the road in their career. You had like a U-turn. I mean, <laughs> you, you went from divorce attorney to looking at marriage counseling yeah, and these marriage intensives. So you have this property and the property's up in Canton, right? Right. Okay. So you have this property, you decide you're going to put a venue on it and that's going to require some building. Yep. And so that I wanted to build the building myself. Really? Uh, so I wanted to do, we, we, we hadn't decided what the, Last year, we decided we were going to do a timber frame, but I wanted to build it myself. I'm a woodworker. Um, that was my form of personal therapy throughout all these divorces was woodworking. So I'm like, I want to do this myself. This is going to be part of the therapy too. Now, had you ever done that before? Built a structure? Yeah. No. I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hobby woodworker too, but there's a big difference between a bookshelf and a building. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I'm quickly learning about, <laughs> but Hey, I'd never built a law firm before either. Good so, point. Um, so I wasn't afraid of the challenge. I was really looking forward to it. Uh, then, so we, 2020 hits and, and COVID hits. And wow, did that change things? Because we were going to get a small business loan to get the, you know, some of the finances together to do it. But when COVID hit, everybody shifted to the PPP and the idle loans and nobody was doing you know, startup loans for a small business for an industry that was shut down. <laughs> so, um, so that got, that started a time of reflection for me. And what was interesting was the psychologist had told me that you really should take some time off where you do nothing. I was like, man, what? I don't need to do that. I'm a workaholic. I, I need to work. And he's like, no, you need some time to detox. And I, I didn't believe him at first, but boy, I mean, it was almost like a, I don't want to sound like, but I took advantage of the lockdown to reflect and everything. That's when I also decided we decided to do the timber frame, which led me to buy a sawmill. So, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> Moved you to buy a sawmill. Talk about that. Yeah. So, so timber frames can be very expensive because you have to get these huge frame the timbers that are, you know, six by six or eight by eight and 20 plus feet long. But there's a company out there, it's called Woodmiser, and you can buy a portable sawmill and mill your own lumber from the trees on your property and build your timber frame building and save thousands and thousands of dollars. So I started learning about that. And this is professional-grade timber that you can turn out on this portable sawmill? Yes. So, I mean, you're not just a guy with a chainsaw out there. No. This is real equipment. Real equipment. It was not cheap. <laughs> It was not cheap at all. And so here was the, the irony of all this. Well, the sawmill took on a business of its own. And now, now, I am, uh, now I'm going to people's properties and helping them find their, like, achieve their dreams. So while I'm still working on everything on our property. And there's an official term for somebody who... Has a, a sawmill, right? Sawyer. Sawyer. So I've moved from lawyer to Sawyer. Makes it easy when you only have to change one letter on the business card, know, doesn't it? Super easy. <laughs> but, and, and I noticed on, on one of your sites, you talk about urban logging. Mm -hmm. What is that? So urban logging is something that's been growing um, since really the 80s. 
And that's when what, that's sort of what motivated Woodmiser. That's what caused the when you read their story about how how they came about. Because logging companies, they want a certain kind of log because their machinery processes it very, very fast. But there's other logs they don't want to touch. They really don't like logs from, you know, from urban areas because a lot of times there's metal in it. It's, they, they grow funny. They're not consistent. You can't get a whole lot of them. But the, this company that came along and that, um, now I'm doing it thanks to them. But why can't we build a sawmill that can go out to the logs? rather than logs coming to the sawmill. So, I mean, this thing is, it can handle a, um, a two-ton log, 4,400 wow. pounds, 21 feet long, and 36 inches wide, and it's all hydraulic. And so I can take it, like this past weekend, I went out to a couple, was clearing an area to build, they're going to build their home, they're going to build a barn. So I took the wood that they had cut down, so rather than being hauled off to the dump uh, or landfill, I turned into two by tens, two by eights, two by twelves, uh, twenty feet long. I they had an oak. They wanted to. They wanted part of the wood, the trees on the property, to be in their home. So we took this huge oak. It was about thirty five inches wide, and we what's called live edge slabbed it. We slabbed it, and so the homeowner is going, one of the homeowners. He's going to turn it into. Um, he has enough wood to make two dining room tables out of it. Wow, and the. Live edge means just that that's not a finished edge on it, right? Right. So you just leave the natural edge of the tree in there. So with a when you're doing lumber, you act, the first thing you do is square up the log. So you turn it from a round log to a square log. But with live edge, you don't do that. Well, you just you clean up uh, the top and the bottom, and you just cut along the lateral lines, and then you have nice what's called live edge slabs. So I know there's you know there's obviously a lot of people out there who have differing views when it comes to logging as far as, you know, what it does to the environment and this and that. But, I mean, your business is very environmentally friendly because you're only dealing with fallen trees, right? Right. So, I mean, there's sometimes when people will clear an area that I'll go take care of that. But like hurricanes, um, uh, that, that actually generates a fair amount of work. Uh, so I'll, some some trees will come down and result, or a lot of rainstorms, and the ground gets wet and they fall down. And so I'm able to go out there and turn their fallen trees into stories. So you may have uh, a, a home with an oak on it or whatever species of wood that's been there for 40, 50 years. And uh, they maybe it's grandma's house, but the kids remember playing under that growing up, that tree. So rather than that tree being chopped up in firewood and burned in a fireplace, I can come out there and turn it into live edge slabs or lumber so they can build a dining room table. And that's, that's the most common thing, but uh, that you can build all kinds of uh, whatever you want out of the wood, uh, provided it'll pass code, you know. <laughs> well, and you had, uh, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about the residential, but you've also had some commercial jobs that you've worked on too, right? Right. So I've got uh, a few, at least one for sure, maybe two properties where they cleared the land and they're building buildings on it. And they delivered the largest logs to my property and I'm slabbing those logs. Um, I've actually built a dehumidification kiln. I just finished it and I will be putting those slabs in the kiln. So I'll be drying the wood and then I'll be turning it to conference room tables and desks to go back in the business that's going to be on the property. So these same trees that stood on the property originally 
are going to be used in the office building as conference room tables. Correct. It's kind of ultimate recycling, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. That's why it's this. This is such a fun business to have. I mean, that's it took on a business life of its own. And I didn't when I bought it. I wasn't sure that's what I was going to do. I bought it really to build the timber frame. And so this has been a wonderful opportunity for me to really just get outside and enjoy myself, make some money that I'm going to be able to use on the to build the the uh, the venue. Because going back to your point earlier, there's a big difference between building a bookshelf and a building and the costs associated with building this. And because you have to, especially if you're inviting people to it, now you're getting into a whole new level. And there was expenses I never even thought of. Uh, and after m- one of my first meetings with the county, I was like, wow, this is going to cost me 150 grand more than I thought. <laughs> I'm like, I need more money. <laughs> well, and you talked about the kiln. I mean, before you built this kiln, were you just air drying the wood? Yeah, yeah. And that would take how long? It, well, air drying can take like red oak. Each inch can take up to a year. So you have a two-inch thick piece of red oak. It can take two years air drying to get it down to the moisture content. So that's – you want wood that's in a, a, a building or a, whether it be a, res, a home or a commercial building. Most of that wood's at about eight, 6 to 8%. And But if you have it at, like, if you took some wood that was, like, at 20% moisture content, that's the amount of moisture that H2O that's inside the wood, and you bring it inside the uh, air-conditioned, dehumidified uh, area, that water can come out very quickly and cause the wood to warp and twist. And so it looks like this nice, flat piece of uh, wood is suddenly looks like a potato chip. Really? Yeah. Well, and if it's taken two years for that piece of wood to dry... That slows down your business model a little bit too. Big time. So this dehumidification kiln I bought, um, it's an industrial um, unit. I had to build the the chamber that it goes in, but uh, I've learned all about uh, industrial. I I brought in some electricians just to help me make sure I didn't electrocute myself because I had to wire a lot of it myself and build it myself, which is part of, I mean, I just absolutely love it. I, I will say I've looked at the instructions like for eight hours over and over again, the same page, because I couldn't quite figure it out at first. (laughs) I'm like, this is a lot more hard. This is a lot harder than reading law books. (laughs) Wait, what's this diagram saying? Um, Which nobody has ever said before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, but uh, so now I can, this thing will pull 250 pounds of water out of the air every day. And so I can put 4,000 board feet of oak in it and it will dry it. Like, so I can, a tree can be cut down. I can mill it and put it in there. And within 35 days have pulled the water out of it, get it down to a six to 8% moisture content. So it's ready to go inside of a building. So you went from two years to a month or so. Right. Wow. And that will hold enough wood for you for how long? Or are you going to need multiple kilns? Uh, I actually, so I built one, I bought two. Oh, so okay. I just haven't built the second one yet, but I got the first one built so I can start drying the wood. So uh, I will eventually have three kilns. So the third one's actually going to be a solar kiln. So it's using the power of the sun to dry the wood. The disadvantage, the, the dis, there's two disadvantages to the solar kiln. One, it's a little slower than a dehumidification kiln. It's actually better than a dehumidification kiln when it comes to how it dries the wood because it's it's much faster than letting it air dry. And every night it gets to rest. So the sunlight is causing it to, and, and it's not, 
the sunlight's not directly hitting it, but you're using the sunlight to generate heat uh, to pull the, the water out of the wood. And so that puts stress on the wood. But at night, the sun's gone and it relaxes. The dehumidification kiln, it's constant. It's constantly mm-hmm. pushing that. It's forcing that water out of there. But I cannot sterilize the wood in a solar kiln. I can sterilize the wood in this dehumidification kiln because at the end of the drying cycle, I can heat it up to uh, 150 degrees and keep it there for 24 hours. I'll kill all the insects, all their eggs. And so that, you know, the last thing you would want is to install a bar in a restaurant or something. And then suddenly you see sawdust on the ground and some, uh, not, uh, you know, uh, larva crawling out of it. That would not be too appetizing. Well, we haven't even mentioned yet. The, the name of the business is Merriweather Millworks. Merriweather Millworks. And we've talked about furniture, but Talk a little bit more about the kinds of services that you provide and the kinds of projects that you can perform for people. So uh, this one of the services uh, I can, I often go out to people's homes where the the trees have come down in storms or they were building something on their property and they cleared the, they cleared the land and then, but didn't have the logs hauled off. I can come to them and mill their wood into whatever they're asking for. Um, for instance, I did a, let's see, I did one where I just did one by tens or one by eights. And I turned all the poplar trees that he had into one by eights and he's using it as siding in a big barn he's building. And you're able to do all of that on site? On site. Yeah. But I just need a, a relatively flat area that's 28 by 28. And I bring a tractor with me so I can move the logs around and move the, the, milled lumber and so they can stack it on the property. Um, so I, I do that. I can, I had a customer that wanted to put this, uh, to build a big bar, live edge bar in their basement and build it out and a big Oak could come down. So I went out there and milled that Oak and stacked it up for him. It's air drying. Um, another customer was custom building a home and they had some beautiful hardwood. So I went and I made them their mantles for their house I cut some red oak for them to use in flooring and for them to use for the stairs in their house. So certain parts of their house, you know, you don't, you don't have to have a grader grade the wood. So I'm able to go out there and mill all that for them. And so they can use it in the home. Well, we were talking before we went on the air today about, you know, you've been around so many types of wood now that you can almost tell by the smell what kind of wood it is. I, I, yeah. <laughs> There's some that surprise me from time to time. But, yeah, I, I, sometimes I'll look at a log. I'm like, I'm not sure what that is. And I start cutting. I'm like, oh, that's red oak. You know, because it just you never know. Some, the, that's that urban logging. Sometimes trees grow very oddly. and But you can smell from the sawdust the, the different smells. Well, and there species. is nothing like the smell of fresh sawn wood as far as I'm concerned. I mean, any of us who have done any woodworking at all um, just know a piece of wood is something to be revered and taken good care of. And I'm one of those people that if somebody tries to put a coat of paint on a piece of wood furniture, <laughs> I, I, I flinch every time. <laughs> now, um, so one of the other services I provide is uh, like, a, let's say a company has uh, a huge trailer and their trailer, they, you know, they haul heavy equipment, bulldozers or excavators or something like that. They have wood on those trailers because 
the metal tracks, they, you can't have metal on metal. The metal tracks will start sliding. So they actually need wood for the metal tracks to dig into. So I may like, I'll get calls for two by eight, um, 20 foot long, two by eight, uh, Oak for them to put on there. So I will mill that for them and deliver it to them so they can redeck a, a trailer. So a lot of specialty th- milling. So I'm just kind of envisioning this. And if someone has down trees from a storm or something, can you do individual projects like that? Or do you need a lot of volume? Well, it depends. Well, so I, and I say it depends because I try to be a huge cost benefit for the customer. You know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to go out there and there'd be a pine tree because pine is, that's a relatively now, uh, several months ago, it wasn't relatively inexpensive, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, um, normally, uh, it is a relatively inexpensive wood that you can buy from your big box stores. Um, so it may not be worth it unless there's some sort of history with that tree. Uh, but for a lot like oak, it's worth it for me to go out there and mill it. So may, there may be only be one tree and it may only take me a half day. And usually I have a minimum. It's got to, I have to be able to spend at least two to four hours out there because then it's not worth it for me. But you have one big oak that comes down that could take, um, depending on where you like bringing the oak to the, where it fell on the property and how is, how am I going to get it to the sawmill? So that could take a day. And that, you know, with, with something like that, especially if like what you call quarter sawn, if you quarter saw the red oak, then it's definitely worth my time. And if there's any developers who are listening, I mean, when they have to clear cut a property and a lot of trees have to come down so that they can build on it, you're definitely somebody who can help them out with that. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm talked with some of them about like what I can cut so they can use on the property. So like white oak, that's a that's a wood that handles itself very well outside um, pine actually handles itself fairly well outside even without i'm not talking about talking about where it touches the ground I'm talking about mm-hmm. if it's, it's off the ground um the the key is actually to keep it pine outside painted uh so that it can handle the sunlight the sunlight's the top killer of the wood especially pine so but i can go out there and make uh some two by six or two by eight uh, white, like, so if they have white oak, I can mill it and they can turn it into a cool bench on the property. And, um, or like, uh, the guy was building a horse fence and he had 40 acres. So it was going to be a big fence. And I went out there and he had the pine taken down. And so I milled, I think 1.2 miles. If you put them together, 1.2 miles of one by sixes for him. And it was cheaper for me to do that than to go buy all the wood at Home Depot. So as we talk about your progression, I mean, this whole sawmill, Meriwether Millworks came out of wanting to build the buildings yeah. <laughs> for for the marriage venue. Yeah. Uh, and, and before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit more about that because I know you're you're in that process right now of getting that built and up and running. Talk a little bit about where you are in that process and what you envision it being. So where I am is uh, I started talks with the Cherokee County. When I bought the property, I didn't have to have this. But now, after I bought the property, I have to have what's called a special use permit to have a venue on a, a piece of property zoned agricultural. Um, so I, I learned that out. La- I learned that last year. Um, and so, but before you can even apply for that, you have to go through a series of meetings. 
and I've gone through two of the three meetings. I still have one more meeting to go through. Um, and I need to have some landscape architect work done because um, you have to have a preliminary plan of what you want to do. And so I'm, I'm in that process. And um, a few things have happened along the way. I, I, I kind of slowed it down only because going back to what I was saying earlier about detoxification, I didn't, what I didn't realize what, along this was just how, how much I'd lost my empathy I was going, nobody would have known it talking to me because I'd gotten really good at going through asking the right questions and, and acting a certain way. But deep down, I'd lost my empathy and sympathy for people caught in these situations. And I shouldn't have, but I mean, but that was a real problem I was having, but I didn't realize it at first and it didn't start. I didn't really become aware of it until this past year. And I said, well, I can't really help couples if I'm not going to be a hundred percent in this. So I kind of slowed down on things, um, to just let my, I don't I'm trying to think the right word, let my heart heal. I don't know if that's the right word, but mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I'm in the right mindset. So, because if I'm not two things could happen, I can't give my all to these couples. And then, um, well, I should say it was, it's not going to be just me. It's going to be my wife and I, uh, I can't give, we can't give our all. And two, I'm going to get burned out on that just like I did on the practice of law. Mm -hmm. So I got to make sure my heart's in the right place. I mean, but I still want to do it. I mean, it's, we're still working for it, but I said, let's just slow down. Let me get a little healing in here. Um, make sure we do it right. Uh, we're still debating whether we're going to pay for it all in cash or if we're going to get like a small business loan. So that's what we're, we're working through those things right now. How long will it take you to build the buildings? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm because whatever I say, it's going to take twice as long. <laughs> it always does, doesn't it? Because <laughs> that's what I've been learning. <laughs> I would say the timber frame. Are you counting cutting the wood for it too? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so if you're talking about if I can, because I can actually put it up green. So which means I don't dry it because that's going to be hard to dry big timbers like that. Um, from the, from the time of cutting it to the time, you know, getting concrete in the ground and building it six to nine months, I've seen them put them, put up tipper frames in two weeks, but that's what a lot of help. And I was trying to do a lot of it myself. Well, again, your story, I mean, from litigating divorces to, um, trying to keep couples from considering divorce. I mean, obviously you have had a total change of perspective mm -hmm. in, in the way you're looking at it. And I know this is something that is still on your heart and it'll happen when the time is right. Right. You know, one of the things I find so interesting in your story is your obvious passion for helping others, your ability to take and bring new life into seemingly damaged situations. I mean, whether that's a, a fractured relationship that can be repaired or a fallen tree that can be repurposed into beautiful furniture, uh, that has to give you a real sense of fulfillment. It does. It does. And, um, and if there's something I've learned in the last few years since retiring from the practice of law, it's that there's this part of me that just loves to make things. Um, and I wasn't really fulfilling that because in a divorce practice, I'm tearing things apart. 
I'm trying to do it in the best way possible so that I preserve the co-parenting relationship. If there's children involved, that was very important to me. Um, as is to most divorce lawyers. So I want to be clear about that. Um, but that takes a lot of effort. And, but it's still, at the end of the day, you're facilitating the breakdown of a relationship, of a family. And that was worrying on me more than I had any idea. Because the joy I get from just making things is just, there's days, let's put, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, there are days where I'll go out there and I'll get paid for this and I'll, I'll literally drink, so this is this summer, I'll drink 20, two gallons of water, which is just over 16 pounds. And I'll come inside still having lost four pounds. So I am busting my butt and I'm getting paid for it. And I'm, and I walk inside, I'm exhausted. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I, I'm kind of feeling guilty because I felt like I didn't work. And I'm like, I've got a check in my hand, but somehow I felt like I didn't work. I was feeling guilty. And, uh, so that's like, it just hits you that, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is where, what I've been missing all these years that it, I'm able to make things. Yeah. I made things with the firm. And so I don't want to take away from that, but it, there's something about when you can actually see, uh, when you can see a physical object that you have helped make. Like I just love taking pictures of that finished table. I may have just finished building or the, I see the look on the customer's face when I've opened up this log that they want to turn into furniture and there's this beautiful grain. They're like, Oh wow, I just can't wait to get started on this. And you can see it. And when you can see, I mean, I, I uh, there was another, and I'll try to be super short cause I know we're running out of time. No, that's fine. The, uh, another one of my favorite stories is I had a, cu- a client that, um, th- I really didn't see why he was getting a divorce and I kept pushing him. I mean, we were literally on the eve of trial mediation had failed. I kept I kept pushing him. You don't need to get a divorce. And, um, they wound up dropping their case and working on it. I get a call six months later. It's not working out. I'm like, you can't expect someone to stop 20 years of bad habits in six months. And I, I told him that it sounds like your wife's not, she's not, uh, She's not being what's called a safe spouse. He said, what's that? I said, well, listen to our podcast. My wife and, and I did do a podcast at one point from some of the material. It was called about being a safe spouse. And so I, I said, you need to go listen to that. So I didn't hear from him again. And then I get a call from a lawyer saying, can you send over the file? I'm like, oh, it didn't work. And then two, four months later, I get this comment on our website. It said, never in a million years, I would expect my husband's divorce lawyer to save our marriage. Sorry, it kind of makes me. <clears throat> um, yeah, that was just so cool. And I ran into him at Home Depot a couple years later. And he had this big smile on his face. And I had this big smile. I gave him a hug. His kids were like, who's this guy giving you a hug? <laughs> of course, he couldn't tell them. Uh, but I was like, how are you doing? He's like, we're doing great. And not only are we doing great, he says, I mean, obviously we're still learning. We're still, we still have our rough patches, but we know how to get through them now. And um, he said, but, but in our church, we're the beacon of hope for those couples that are having trouble in their marriage. And so, like, because God was able to help me help save his marriage, he's now able to help save other marriages and be like, this is what a, a great marriage that can weather any storm looks like. And seeing that look on his face, that smile that I have never been happier in my entire life. Cause he told me that, I mean, that 
just it just it brought tears to my eyes. Well, and I think it's so interesting. I mean, you know, everyone's journey is different, but when you look at all the years that you were practicing family law and you saw what the end result of not working on those relationships is, and you probably saw some of the warning signs that people weren't realizing themselves in those relationships that could have been addressed earlier. Yeah. You know, before we, before we wrap up here, and I don't have the right word for this except for maybe extreme. Yours is one of the more extreme career transitions that I know of. But if there's somebody listening who, you know, is, is working in a job right now but is feeling drawn or called to follow their passion and is considering a change in careers, any advice you'd give them? Yeah. Oh, so <clears throat> go for it. Well, I say that, but, um, you know, the longer you wait, the less likely you're going to be able to do it. I mean, I made the transition from being behind a desk to handling 4,000 pound logs. And sometimes I'm rolling these things myself with what's called a cant hook and I'm 50 years old. So I think if I'd been another 10, 15 years, it would be a little more difficult. Now I'm a big guy, so I can handle it, but, um, you wait too long and maybe your health gets in the way or other life events get in the way of making that happen. But I can tell you um, just the joy I feel now that I haven't felt in a long time. It is so worth it. Um, now, don't I forgot the name of the book, but there was a great book, this description of, um, you know, stepping off of your safe space and uh, to something completely new. And it says it's like a boat. Um you don't want to try to take the step when the boat has drifted away from the dock and then you wind up falling in and getting wet. Make sure you can pull that boat close to the dock. So you don't have to rush to do it, but definitely if you're struggling, start doing your research. Uh, start going, well, what would it look like if I left this and started a new business? We could do a whole show on, on, on that, but don't at least start doing your research to make this jump. Um, the reason I, the only thing I hesitate, cause you know, you don't want to jump into something you can't make any money from. That's, sure. Uh, but, um, but I do talk to people all the time that are like, man, I can't do this. There's this security in where they are. Mm -hmm. But if you're not careful, that it's not really that secure because it may be causing you the stress, the internal stress from where you are could be leading you to an early death. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I've seen people that have been just uh, they work so hard it's something they didn't like and literally they had a stroke in their office or an aneurysm or a heart attack and uh, you know it just took them out and um i don't want i wouldn't want someone to experience that don't there, there are ways to make that transition well and even if it's not health issues it can be relationship issues mm -hmm. it can be just general happiness i mean we all know people who are very successful and very unhappy. Yes. Oh, I Yeah. A lot of them are getting divorced, too. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, Lee, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your time. I know how busy you are and just your incredible story with us. We, everybody here at Business Radio X wishes you and Stephanie and Meriwether Millworks all success in the future. And if someone listening would like to contact you, learn more about the work you're doing, 
or want to talk to you about downed trees they may have on their property, what's the best way to contact you? Well, they can go to my website, meriwethermillworks.com. And my email address there, it's leemerryweather at gmail.com right now. I spell Lee a little bit different. It's L-E-H. But um, leemerryweather at gmail.com or go to the website. It's got my phone number on there. And uh, they can email me or, or call me. And I've looked at the website. And also on there, you have some great pictures of some of the work you've done and some of the steps in the process with the portable mill. And as the marriage intensive, as the wedding venue uh, comes to reality here, Will that have a separate website, or will you be linking that to your website? Oh, it's going to be a separate website for sure. But okay. um, I'll probably detail its building process of mine. Okay, so people will be able to find it through that. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much for being here, and we thank you for listening to Woodstock Proud. We hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest, Lee Merriweather, a little bit better today. Until next time, this is Jim Bulger saying take good care of yourself, stay safe, And we will talk with you again real soon.